What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. Critical Resistance is celebrating 25 years of work this weekend. We are joined by Mohammed Sheikh, the National Campaigns and Projects Director with Critical Resistance. Good morning, Mohammed. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me, Kat. I'm excited to be on. And I think this is your first time on Lawn Disorder, which is a little strange. So welcome and glad to finally get you on the air. Mohammed, I think that we should start by going, you know, back in history 25 years ago, that historic meeting that changed the course of the conversation about abolition in this country, and one could argue the globe. Tell my listeners what took place. Yeah. Yeah, 25 years ago, um, in September of 1998, organizers hosted a conference um, at UC Berkeley that brought together over 3,500 activists, academics, former and current prisoners, labor leaders, you know, religious organizations, um, LGBTQ activists and community members, youth. Um, there, were, there were people from literally every state um, represented in the country and even had people from um, overseas and other countries join for well, what was a three-day event, and it was it was called Critical Resistance Beyond the Prison Industrial Complex. And so out of that convergence, um, Critical Resistance was born. Um, and it was really through this, this conference um, and the ongoing organizing that followed that Critical Resistance popularized the term prison industrial complex and as a way to understand the uh, the overlapping uh, systems of policing and imprisonment and surveillance, um, these, these systems of, of social control. Um, and that term was actually coined by Mike Davis um, uh, years prior, but um, it was through the organizing that it was really popularized. And then obviously, and more importantly, I would say, or just as importantly is, we also popularized the term abolition and the concept of abolishing the prison industrial complex. And that, that draws its, its, uh, its power and legacy from the abolition of slavery in this country. Um, so um, that first conference was really what, what was the catalyst that, uh, you know, spurred this movement. Um, and there are, we have so many, so many founders and so many people that were involved, and it's it's just an honor to be, um, you know, continuing that legacy. I, I want to sit in the the piece. I want to tug a little bit more on that thread about popularizing, right? The the idea, the term abolition, and and even over the last ten years, right? the advances that have been made in in that conversation um in in work to to do abolition right now in this moment in um ending the myth right that abolition is this thing that can only happen like you know seven generations from now we'll never see it in our lifetime and just talk a little bit uh, about even just the last 10 years and the acceleration of that and what that could mean possibly for organizing over the next 10 years mm -hmm. yeah yeah um Absolutely. So I think it's important to note that, um, you know, with when CR's founders and, and the early organizers were 
using that term PIC abolitionist and were putting it forward, they were they were laughed out of the room, right? They were told that they were just bananas, um, that it wasn't serious, it wasn't politically serious to think about um, eradicating imprisonment and policing. Um, and here we are today, where, as you just rightly mentioned, you know, just over the course of, of the last 10 years and in the moment that we that we are today, if you're if you're serious about being, you know, on the left or or committed to social justice, organizing and anti-racist uh, organizing and upholding those values, then you have to, you know, be serious about abolitionist uh values and principles, right? That we can't support these systems um, because of their inherent racism, um, anti-black racism, anti-indigenous racism, right? Um, and the and the oppression that they are built on. Um, and I would really say that the that the way that these the the you know PIC abolition became as as kind of widespread or more common sense um, as it is today is through the day-to-day month-to-month year-to-year organizing that has happened over you know the last three or so decades um, in this country as well as internationally um, around these systems it is um, people that have built campaigns that have shown what abolitionist organizing can actually look like, um, that have won, you know, demands. Um, when we say we're working toward abolition, that doesn't mean that in one fell swoop, the whole system is going to be dismantled. But it is what it, what it does mean is that, um, you know, when they say that they want to build a new jail, we we organize to stop and fight it. And then we work to shut down existing jails. It means that we work to chip away and and take power away from the systems of policing, which which includes their budgets, right? And so I think as as you know very well in the work that um, the Anti-Police Terror Project has been doing, doing in Oakland alongside the work that many organizations are doing across the country, we've been working to defund police before it became such a popular slogan. And in fact, the slogan didn't come out of nowhere, right? That demand didn't come out of nowhere. It was the work of, you know, Reclaim the Block and and the Black Visions Collective in Minneapolis that had been doing that work prior to the the murder of George Floyd and the uprisings that that took place um, that really... I think we're hugely pivotal in this very question around how the the, the language and the, the concept of abolition and defunding became so popular. Um, so n- none of this comes, um, you know, out of a vacuum. It is built on the work and the the on the ground organizing as well as the intellectual work that has been uh, put in for so many years. And has and has, you know, been made common sense. And Muhammad, why don't you tell us about the events uh, that are taking place this weekend? I've got about ninety seconds. Yeah, so um, we are going to have a very exciting celebration um, this Friday, May fifth. It is going to be in um, San Francisco, uh, in San Francisco State University at, in McKenna Theater. 
Um, doors open at six o'clock. The program will start at seven, and we have a very exciting program where we have one of our founders, Angela Davis. You know, um, she's just so powerful, so amazing, and is going to be in conversation with Andrea Ritchie and Nia Norn. Um, and we're so lucky to have uh, such visionary, you know, abolitionist leaders um, and these powerful women be in conversation with one another. Um, and I really encourage folks to go to our website, criticalresistance.org, um, get tickets. No one will be turned away for lack of funds. Um, and we also have a very exciting dance performance called Dancing Through Prison Walls that do work with in prison folks. Um, so come through, check it out. Um, you'll have a great time and you'll learn a lot. Great. Thanks for joining us. Mohammed Sheikh is the National Campaigns and Projects Director with Critical Resistance. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>